0: those were the people who helped get me there and and they acknowledged when i did so i've been getting emails since i've been making the rounds in the network this week from a lot of those people i worked with over the years and it just feels good when they're like man it's really nice to have you back espnw presents be honest with carrie champion
1: hey everybody welcome to another edition of be honest so this week, i am be honest, I'll just get right to it. I'm not going to bore you with a long intro. I'm not going to make you sit here and have to fast forward through the intro like some of you guys claim you do on social media. I see you. Y'all better listen. Uh, but this week, i am be honest, uh, Sal Masakela joins the podcast. And I don't know if you guys remember Sal from E! News, uh, The Daily Ten, which was a, a show on E! Entertainment. He also used to host the X Games for us here on ESPN. The X Games are now, I mean, that's a an entity in itself. It's a whole nother life. It's grown since he's done it. But he always had this way uh, about himself when he was on television, It made me want to stop and look at the TV and say, what's this guy talking about? It could be because he had a very unique look. He was a, a black guy with dreads. Uh, or it could be the way he talked to me as a viewer. I felt like he was sitting in my living room. I felt like he was sharing a story that I could totally relate to. It didn't seem rehearsed. It wasn't forced. It was genuinely authentic. There's something about people who have the ability to do that, to be genuinely authentic. Those those people, those personalities, they always make the most noise. They always break through. Those are the ones that you remember that you want more from. And in a crazy turn of events, he worked at ESPN for 13 years, and then eventually he didn't. But now he's back in the family in a very bizarre way. Not bizarre. He's back in the family in a very interesting way. And the reason why it's interesting is because he's the host of a docu-series that basically brings us all together. He travels all around the world and he tells very fascinating stories through one common denominator, and that's sports. From what I've seen so far, I feel like it's a true education, I asked him to be on the podcast after he came on SportsCenter so he can give us a little more detail about what he's attempting to do with this new docu-series. So without further ado, we welcome Sal Masakela. to be honest. This person isn't really a guest. It's like, welcome home, welcome back home. Um, He used to be with the family of networks. That's ESPN. He's back with the family of networks in a way. Uh, Everyone, you may remember him as Sal Masakela, but... Can you please tell me your first, your new name, or your name? Explain the it's story. It's not a new name.
0: I'm not, you know, Prince.
1: Are you uh, the former artist, former known? For, as- for I'm say
0: uh, Sal Masakella. No, my, my full name is Salema Masakella. And when I first started at ESPN, they used to font me as Salema Masakella. And then somebody said, "Hey, don't you think Sal Masakella would, would look cooler on the screen, and people would be able to say your name?" So I kind of went with it, but I always sort of was like, man, I wish I could just, you know, use my name. So now on screen, it says Salama Masakela. I was named after my grandfather and um, people can still call me Sal. It's all good.
1: Why did you decide? Because here's a TV thing. A lot of people in TV sometimes decide to go with different names. Like they, p- people will tell you, Hannah Storm. She's like, that's not Storm. It's not my last name.
0: But uh, that's the baddest name in the history of television.
1: You ain't ever lied, because and that's a bad woman. So she's like, and she is a bad woman. It's I used to
0: call her the Storm.
1: She's the Storm. Like when
0: the, she would throw to me, and I would do pieces uh, from X Games, and I'd be excited. I was like, Oh, Hannah Storm's throwing to me. Um,
1: I, I call her Hurricane.
0: I'd be like, and now back to the Storm. <laughs> And then you meet her, and she's just got all this presence. Oh yeah, she's a boss.
1: She's a boss. Okay, so we get asked, are these our names? Like everyone says, is your last name Champion? I'm like, yes, it is not a made up name. I wish it was. It's my true last
0: name. But Carrie Champion is pretty, it's pretty bad.
1: So I I want to know what made you what 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 made you say go with Sal as opposed to Salema?
0: I was literally I was at an NBA game when I was doing sideline re- I was sideline reporting. And an executive uh, who's no longer at the company came to me and said, "Hey, we need to talk to you about this name thing." And I was like, "What name thing?" He's like, "Well, people call you Sal on screen, but they see this Salama, and it's confusing and it's hard for people to say." And it was literally like shortly before we were going on air, and he did the like put his hands up in the air. He's like, "Sal Masakela," just makes so much more sense. And I went with it at the time, um, and everyone got to know me, and it was easy to pronounce. And but I, I did. I did kind of feel like that was a character version of myself as opposed to like who I am, you know, Um, and it it worked and it was cool and people got to know me as that. But when I left uh, the X Games and I left E and I just took a break from television for a little while, I started making films. Um, I started doing things that were more about who I was as a whole person, Uh, started making music and I just started Using Salema a little bit more. And then when when this thing came along with, with uh, Vice World of Sports and they said, how do you want to be credited? I stopped and I thought about it. And I was like, I, th- I think I want to be credited as as Salema. You know, I was named after my grandfather who was a, a sculptor and a poet and a freedom fighter in South Africa. And I've always had great pride in that name. And it wasn't until I moved to California that people found my name difficult, people mostly who didn't have an ethnic background, to be like, that's how Sal came about. So this is more or less just for me coming full circle.
1: I was just going to say this metamorphosis of who you are, being more comfortable in your skin. It's interesting when you start in in this business, there are people who who say things to you uh, that you believe are helpful or perhaps maybe they have influence. And you think, well, yeah, why not? I've often been told you should wear flats because you're too tall, right? Or... When you're on air with someone who's shorter than you, you should probably do this or you should cut your hair or you should. I hear it all the time, especially Be, aesthetically. Have less
0: presence like you have so much awesome that we need you to dial it back a little bit because it throws the viewer off.
1: I hear it all the time. But
0: I think like I've been watching you since you got on the network and I think it's amazing. I mean, you own it. And can't anybody deny what it is you're doing or bringing to the table? And if someone has a – if you have to – my thing is if you have to alter yourself to make everyone else feel comfortable, that's that's their problem. That has nothing to do with you. This is how you – this is who you are. And if it's shocking to what you normally are putting on the screen all the time, I can't. there's nothing I can do about that. I, I went through that when I had dreadlocks. You know, I had a, I had a network executive, not at this network, but at, at E, uh, the president of the network at the time, Ted Harbour, when I first got there, we were rehearsing the show. He came down into the studio, walked right up to me and put his hands in my hair Oh! and said, you know, I was standing in front of a, of a screen and uh, he's like, I just need, I'm watching this upstairs and I'm, I'm trying to understand, uh, you know, how, you know, I can sort of see some of the screen through your hair. And this man had the nerve to put his hands in my hair and I gave him a very gentle but firm forearm and pushed him off. Yeah. And my producer came and ran in from the control room and had to dial it down because you know,
1: <laughs> you don't touch. First of all, you don't just touch black <laughs> hair, period. Literally like, like, don't touch my hair. It's
0: it, it my, at a cellular level, I just switched. And it was they wanted to have this deba- debate over whether or not I should wear my my hair in a ponytail or not so that it fit the screen, but the girls I'm standing with are wearing extensions eighty ways to Sunday. So you're basically telling me like we didn't realize that it was going to come with this, and we have to see if this fits our agenda. Why'd you hire me then?
1: I, you know, I it, it is always the question, right? Of the people who sit in these offices or the people who quote unquote know TV, you know what you're getting. I, it, I always think about and it's Serena Williams. Adam Silver said something the other day about the WNBA and about how it's struggling to find its footing, and he wished that the WNBA, in terms of the personalities, were more like Serena Williams. He says Serena Williams is herself 24-7 unapologetically. You know what you're getting with Serena. Either she's in a good mood or a bad mood. I'm speaking for me, not Adam Silver. Right. She is going to talk to you or she's not. Like, don't – whatever she does – It's really not going to surprise you because she's unapologetically Serena Williams. In essence, be yourself is what he's saying, because people are drawn to that realness, whether it's drama or whatever it is, whatever genuine authenticity you can bring. Be you. I find that for years, so many networks and I just I'm not referring to ESPN or E. They try to manage who people are. And, and, and aren't they realizing it's more of the shows that have personality where you can identify and you can see flawed humans like yourselves? You know, re- those shows do well. I want to see Sal with dreads because, you know what, my uncle has dreads. Like, we, I want to relate to you in whatever way I can possibly relate to you. And I don't understand why that for them is uncomfortable. It means like they're in this, they're in this, this box and they haven't stepped out of their box. Their well, world.
0: For, for a long time, I think. And it's dying now because the metrics of how you're able to measure the way people are consuming media—it's that doesn't exist anymore, right? So Nielsen ratings don't really count for much. Uh, even the demographics that you used to be able to line up and see who's watching our shows—that doesn't make any sense anymore. But for a long time, they were—that was—that was the way everything was dialed in. So it was like, how is Peggy and Peoria going to feel about? This tall, mm-hmm. strong black woman who's standing over everybody, physically has a presence over anybody who walks on the set. Or how is – you know how how are these people going to feel about this person who has this decidedly African head? Um And I think it was – that comes from a bottom line of like what the the, the money is. Sure. And that doesn't really exist anymore. And, and the type of people who have, I think, filtered to the surface that are, like you said, are making noise or identifying – You know, with audiences are people who are reflective of the people who are watching, they're watching. And the thing that I think always gave me a chance when I first even started in this business wasn't that I knew anything about journalism. I didn't know anything about being a broadcaster, but I was passionate about the sports that I was commentating. And I knew everything I could know about them and the community. And if I could translate that and communicate it to an audience that didn't know anything about it, that was my job. I wanted them excited about this thing that they didn't know. And I think that was the role I got to play when I was at X Games. So <laughs> it was hard as as you start to – I started off as a sideline reporter. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm the host of the X Games in two years. And now, because I'm visible, people are asking questions. And they want to help make decisions about how you're presenting yourself. <laughs> um, and that sort of steadily grew through my career until, like I said, in 2010, I was like – I'm going to take a little time out um, and, and come full circle and find out what I want to do. I'm not bitter. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, for the platform that I was given. I just don't think I ever expected those challenges um, once I once I sort of got there.
1: What do you mean you decided to take a break in 2010? Explain the circumstances.
0: I went to South Africa to cover the World Cup with ESPN. Um, to be a, a human interest reporter, and it was the best trip of my life. Um, my father and I made a documentary called Umlando Through My Father's Eyes. My dad's a native South African, political exile for 30 years. Uh, ESPN knew that background, and they were like, hey, how about you and your dad take a road trip through, through the country and show people, um, you know, we decided to show people where okay. these – the World Cup was happening as opposed to just these soccer games. Give people an idea of texture and culture and what makes South Africa a special place. Then I stayed on. We did that for three weeks. It was amazing with this great filmmaker named Jonathan Hawk uh, who does a lot of ESPN 30 for 30s. And then I stayed on as a human interest reporter for six weeks. Best trip of my life. Up until then, for the previous four years, I was in a daily news cycle at E! Entertainment doing the Daily 10. And then I would do the X Games, summer and winter. Um, But that was my only presence on ESPN. And when you get to get out of that hamster wheel, and you go into a situation where you're just talking about and making real things uh, of merit, and people are connecting with what you're talking about, I started to feel like, man, why am I in this job for? You know, this is what I want to be doing. I want to tell stories. I want to. I want to be a part of of helping people connect to the sports that they love, but letting them be able to walk away with something from it. And so, I, I, as I literally was flying home from South Africa, I set the intention that I don't know how, but this the way I'm living my life right now has to end because I'm not happy. But this is this is definitely a glimpse into in how I want to live. And then two months later, um, my show got canceled.
1: Uh, the Daily which, Ten. Uh, the, yeah, E
0: mm-hmm. got canceled. And they still owed me a, a year and a half on my on my contract. And um, they kept everybody on the whole staff, including my co-hosts, and let me go. Wow. And it was like – I was like Tim Robbins in Shawshank.
1: <laughs> I was Tim Robbins <laughs> in Shawshank. <laughs> like
0: I, I came out. I was standing there in the rainstorm <laughs> like, I made it out. And – um Kinda, it kind of it opened me up to like having a real life again and sort of figuring out what it is that I wanted to do. I stayed on with the X games for another couple of years, um, but that really sort of began the process of wanting to um, to make stuff of merit and it really it came from that World Cup experience
1: Why do you think they let you go specifically and kept everybody on?
0: I think they let me go because they had decided they wanted to roll. The show into a one-hour e-news show, and that was Ryan Seacrest's show. And Seacrest and I were never going to be like high-five and buddies on the same show. Mm-hmm. I was like the anti-Seacrest mm-hmm. in that I didn't take any of the entertainment news stuff seriously. Yeah, okay. it was tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked doing interviews with 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 uh, with people that sort of celebrated what they did.
1: Time out. Story break. I remember watching E!, maybe one of these after shows, maybe a post-show. I don't know what year it was. Maybe it was 2009, 2010, but you interviewed Oprah. Do you Mm. remember that one? Mm. And you, like, turned to the camera, and you were like, I've made it. That's it. I'm good.
0: Yeah. And that's how I felt. Like, those were the moments for me. It was like when I got to talk to Oprah. Dope. I I was like, I'm not going to ask you about, like, Stedman
1: <laughs> I can hear less can hear what's less. going on with you how Wait, we changing well, the world how you doing <laughs> yeah. I
0: remember um you know sitting down with Julia Roberts you know and we really hit it off and became buddies and Dustin Hoffman and, and 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 having like real conversations with people that's what I enjoyed and they would come back I would come back from a shoot and they'd be like none of this is really usable for the show
1: <laughs> ooh that voice is so I know that voice I work with them <laughs> that voice is every voice so you don't want to deal this with this isn't
0: really usable i mean oh, thanks. you're just talking about stuff are <laughs> like, you talking about like it's not usable you know but if it didn't have like a some hint of scandal or uh-huh. something that was in the news to make it relevant they didn't care about these people and these people's anecdotal stories, even though they were really funny yeah. and they were great and there were things that you probably weren't going to get someplace else. So
1: That's the rub of entertainment news. I've always – everyone says to me – and it's not an insult, but I get a lot, especially here, Kerry. You know you should be doing entertainment. and I'm all like, why? Why am I only allowed to be in that one realm? I can do it all if I want to. You can do it, all, can't do it all.
0: And listen, if you did decide to go and do it, more power to you. My That's thing. just,
1: you can't, but you, what I'm saying to you is I understand. You can only yeah. do that for so long if you are, I, and I'm a journalist at heart, so I'm not just like, let me be famous. I, I can only ask you so much about how many dresses you've worn or right. tell me about the latest hair care. Unless. Unless what? Go.
0: You're being paid.
1: <laughs> yes. What I like to call
0: amnesia money. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. I forget all about amnesia that. Amnesia money.
0: Yeah. Sure. And at E, I was like, if they pay me enough to forget what I'm talking about. Yeah and I have a life out of this, like my legacy is set out of this, I'm good. Sure. But I wasn't even making Ryan Seacrest taxes for a quarter. Right, right,
1: right. You know? Right. I get it. I hear you. I hear you. So my thing was
0: like, I... I still have to walk around with this, and yeah. there's no, there's there's nothing that makes me, yeah. you know, I'm not sitting in, in the Southern yeah, I'm not hopping on
1: my PJ to go to St. Barts. Exactly. Look, I get it. No, I get it. I money, yeah, and of course, Mike Wilbon always says that to me. He goes, "Listen, Carrie, everything, everybody got a price tag. Don't don't talk to me about not having a price tag and all your morals and your ethics and da da da. See the exit of so many big names from our company. Right. But I um I, I agree with you in that sense, and I don't mind entertainment. I'm just saying there there has to be something where you, you that particular, especially if you find yourself wanting to tell stories because it sounds like that's what you wanted to do. Tell stories, enlighten the viewer. And it, you have to be able to have something else coupled with that. You can't just do red carpets all the time because you're not going to be able to tell the story. If that's your creative mindset and you want to tell stories or you want to interview people or you want to go to the next level, that's how my podcast was born. I was a mediator on first take and I would just tee up questions. And I, I watched you. And, yeah. And they were like, Harry, don't you have something to say? I'm like, hell yeah, find a place to put my voice. And so that's how you get to this this platform
0: but the mere fact that you were able to mediate in that space yes with basically like a, a Bengal uh-huh. tiger and like a, 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 uh-huh. a wild grizzly bear and, and be able to have it be watchable that's when I was like oh this girl is a superstar oh you're i you know I'm, I'm, I'm serious because for me that's just white noise like ah but you were able to actually make it palatable. Where I'm like, maybe I want to see <laughs> what's, happening what's happening next. Here. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
1: no, it was. I always say this too now that it was the best job I've ever had. I'm so comfortable with awkward television. I'm very comfortable with people who try to, you know, because we had a lot of on first day, We had a lot of confrontational guests, and you know, and these these like Stephen and Skip don't play. Like I learned to ask tough questions and just look at you. Like no, I did. I asked, "Is your mom? Did your mom steal the money? Go ahead." Answer the question, you know right. that kind of thing. So, so that was good for me, and, and 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 I appreciate you being honest about what you needed to do and how you wanted to take a break. So now,
0: but I'm grateful for it. By the way, I wouldn't it be able good. to do anything that I do now exactly without that.
1: That's how I feel about first take. You I know, agree.
0: That level of intensity yeah. and, and 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 having a, to to write a show, sure. produce a show, be on camera every day. You know, learn like how to 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 work a prompter like it's you 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 brushing your teeth. All that the interviews, that stuff is all set me up for the rest of my life. You
1: tease uh, me and Delina, my 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 producer. It's just me and her. Like it's a two man band in L.A. And mm. I mean, we have obviously our support staff back in Bristol, but we would not have been able to get to this point if we didn't have that training ground. So I I appreciate it. Like if I'm look if I can walk outside of these ESPN studios and it's there's sun and there's a beach and I can go to to your house and hang out in Venice you're more than
0: welcome we will have a rooftop turn up
1: coming up after the break is a story that you just don't want to miss we take for granted the freedoms that we have here I know we do I do uh but Sal talks about his journey to Cuba and what he learned as they tried to make that connection with baseball and sports be honest on the other side of the break
0: going their Cuban citizenship, the most common route for these players is through a neighboring island. I'm standing on the border of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. That is the Masacre River. This route is important because it's one of the many routes that the players from Cuba use to get into the Dominican Republic. The players that take this route must first make it across the sea and into Haiti. Then they're faced with a trek over the mountains before they get to Santo Domingo, a city where dozens of MLB academies sprouted up to scout new talent.
1: Speaking of, I, I had you on the show and I thought to myself, I needed more time. That's immediately what I thought when you walked away. I need more time. Uh, this docu series, uh, Vice World of Sports, uh, on airing on Viceland, which will air on our network in the fall. Mm. LBG. So, I, how's I, that? <coughs>
0: I'm like, I, I'm like a Trojan horse, basically. I'm, I'm back. How's that? It's amazing. How's it feel? It, it, it actually feels really cool because when I left ESPN, it was very emotional. I was here for 13 years, and my 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 entire career was built off of the platform that I was given here. Um, and X Games was my baby, so when you you help to raise this thing and then you got to let it go, um, it, it it was it was really really hard. And I work with such a ama- you know what the key the thing about ESPN is, it's less about you being to be able to be on camera every day. It's really about the people, like the people that work here mm. are incredibly passionate from the editors to producers to every person I've ever worked with down the line. You know, cameramen, audio people like they become your family um, and they really literally help raise me. When I first started at the network, they used to they used to have <laughs> they used to have a, uh, to have a, 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 a pool in the truck. For how many times it would take me to get a take.
1: Oh no. <laughs> That's how bad I was. Three, and
0: people would two. like <laughs> like I mean, we're talking twenty take stand-ups oh. in the very beginning. And these people and I didn't know how bad I was. I was just exci- happy to be there. And people would still be smiling, but inside they were like, This b- where,
1: uh, I,
0: where did they, I love it. Where did they find him? But yeah. they literally helped me and groomed me and those same those same people would come to me and be like you're a pro now. You're you're like when I finally like crossed that point where I could crush it live and those were the people who helped get me there and they acknowledged when I did. And that was I love that. That was massive. So that was the hardest part. Um, I think about leaving. So I've been getting emails since I've been making the rounds in the network this week from a lot of those people i worked with over the years. And it just feels good when they're like, man, it's really nice to have you back.
1: It's a breath of fresh air. It is. It's a, it's a throwback to what it used to be and what the company probably would say they were built on its foundation. and And it's also... It's also a testament to speak to what you can go on and do from on this platform. This platform you can say what you want about working here and we had all these naysayers, ESPN this, ESPN that, but it opens so many other doors, as you pointed out earlier, that you just wouldn't have. It's no. a platform you cannot compare this platform to any other in on national network television. No.
0: It's, it's working at ESPN is what you make it. And they give you the opportunity to to make it that it's tough and they're not gonna they're not going to go out of their way to make you nah, a star. Nah, nah.
1: They don't do that.
0: Not about that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just if you're going to get there, you're going to you're that's that's, that's on, on you. you.
1: That's on 100% you. That's on it's you. It's on you.
0: But um, now you know I wouldn't have Vice World of Sports if it wasn't for for being an ESPN.
1: So as I asked on Sports Center, coast to coast, noon, Monday through Friday, check it out, everybody. That's so, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's that pro.
0: That's <laughs> that champion professionalism. Just
1: check it out. Uh, as I asked on the show, tell me um, about this docuseries. Why is it different from anything that we've ever seen on television?
0: I don't know if it's necessarily different from every, anything on television. But I think that they – I think that we endeavored to make films, to make – um, films that don't have an agenda to tell you sports stories, um, to use to use sports as a through line to tell you stories really more about culture and places and people um, and periods in the world that maybe you didn't know about or didn't care about. Um, and we make films. And we don't have... We're, we're also not beholden to, to anyone's interest in the storytelling. It's nice to not have to work with the leagues to tell stories because... You know, there goes your story. You get to tell like a a sanitized version of what the actual story is because it doesn't fit their interests. So when we went to Cuba, for instance, uh, to tell the story about the journey that Cuban baseball players have to make to get to America because of our policies with the embargo and that Major League Baseball is basically complicit in backdooring players into the country – we didn't have to work with the league on it because that's not the story they want to tell, you know. But to be able to go there, to sit on the border of Haiti and the Dominican Republic and talk to smugglers and hear these firsthand stories as they're in the Dominican Republic telling you about how they took a boat and it was scary and they left their families and they were with smugglers and they had to make their way into the DR and then hope that they – then they got to play and hope that, they, that this is going to work, you know. I I was with Yasmani Tomas who obviously signed like a $73 million uh, contract months after I interviewed him. And then there were other players that were sitting there that had been there for three years mm. and, and weren't making any money. This one kid was working in the supermarket in the DR, still trying to make it. And those are the stories that you don't hear. Mm. And then I went to Cuba and interviewed his wife, who's like, we're broke, we're sending him money, and I miss him. I wish he could come home. And you, she's holding the baby.
1: Let me ask you a question, and I don't know if this will be explored. We will find out when we watch it, Uh, again, airing on ESPN this fall, Vice World of Sports. You guys need to check it out. Um, In the docuseries, do you talk about the payback? There was a story when Yasiel Puig basically came to national attention with the Dodgers. And shortly thereafter, when people were – we're talking about this sensation on the network. Garcia Puig, he's this, he's that. There was a story that came out shortly thereafter that he still owed money to his smugglers mm. because they took care of him and there was a payback. So his contract really isn't that much because he has to pay these smugglers, if you will. And I may not be calling them the right name, but he had to pay them back. Is that a part of your series? Do you do you touch on that? What do you know about that?
0: We did not go into it in the in the in the film Because we didn't have anything other than what was in that ESPN the magazine article, and it was also like a a slippery slope to climb into. You know, we tried to get access to the the middlemen, Um, and I'll, I'll tell you the truth: we ended up getting screwed over by a quote unquote smuggler that left us high and dry. You know, we were we were going to attempt to go into Haiti to film the first ever. Drop off of players. Wow, coming from Cuba into Haiti, um, and we ended up getting taken and found myself like in a super scary border town for three days. This dude disappeared. We didn't know if we were being watched. Um, it got really, really real. Fortunately, you know, we had a really good base team back uh, at home that was monitoring the situation, and you know, we had our fixers on the ground. But it was a really tense three days. And that's when I was like, um, okay, this part of the story, like, I'm cool. <laughs>
1: I'm, cool I'm cool on cool. this. I'm-
0: Can I get back to Santo Domingo now Yeah, and sip a fruity drink? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm cool on this part. But I don't it did. i tell life. you what, like,
0: yeah. just being there and being in the midst of, of, of just sitting there along the route, it made you appreciate, like, people have no idea. Mm. You know, they see these dudes get suited up and laced up and walk out with the bat. Yeah. They have no idea.
1: So Aroldis Chapman most recently decided to agree to uh, a suspension under the new Major League Baseball domestic violence policy based on some reports that he had put a gun to his girlfriend's head and They have a very volatile relationship, according to sources. And he said it wasn't true. There were no charges filed, et cetera. But he just didn't want to deal with the drama of it all. He was like, fine, whatever. Suspend me for however many games just so I can get back on the field and be the guy that I'm supposed to be and for the Yankees. So he he now is in this situation where he's asked to speak about the domestic violence policy or, you know, being an immigrant here as a baseball player. And he says he feels like people take advantage of them. The immigrants here. Once they get here, because they know they don't speak the language well, they don't understand the customs, they don't understand the, the 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 dollar value, the issues. They know they have a lot of money. Would you say that was the case? Do you find that that they have a hard time adjusting just because of just, I, and they're not simple. They're major cultural differences. Mm.
0: I didn't see it firsthand here, but just getting to be with the players there and seeing what type of they come from a, a different universe. It's like a Cuba's another planet, you know like I, I think just so, sort of our everyday the way we process life and the social constructs we live in that doesn't exist in Cuba you know you're talking about guys who were making seventeen dollars a month
1: mm.
0: you know and had a good apartment and a car that they get from <laughs> from from the government that says like you're a baller and you're great for the revolution. Um, and that's the extent of, of sort of the privilege they get from playing this game. Next thing you know, you're the richer than like everyone you know and probably like everyone they know put together. And you're in a country that has all these new rules, all this opulence and wealth. There's, there's not this sort of like systematic quest for equalization. And you don't speak the language. And you're being celebrated and everyone's coming at you how will you make heads or tails with that unless you had someone who was steadfast that could help guide you and at least provide you a little bit of a a real transition?
1: And you have to make sure that person is legitimate, right? They're not trying to take money from you. Yeah, are they on the take as well? Yeah,
0: exactly. I couldn't imagine that.
1: Uh Sal Kayla thank you so much for being on uh my baby podcast. When I say baby, I love this podcast like I love a newborn. Like it's my child. I don't have any kids, but it's like my baby. And I I'm very particular about my guests and you have been one of my favorites so far. I really appreciate you doing this. Welcome back to the family.
0: Thank you very much. It was an honor when you asked me. Um, you know, it was funny when I saw you when we first got here and you were like,
1: "I thought you were going to call in." I was
0: like, "Girl, <laughs> you asked me to be on your podcast. I live down the street. I'm going to come sit with you in the studio. So thank I'm, you, Kay.
1: You're more than welcome. He doesn't realize I'm like that auntie that now, you know, I'm going to do a favor. I'm going to ask for a lot of favors. Y'all got that one family member that did you give them just an inch and they take like <laughs> 20 miles like you got a dollar and then next thing you know it's like Do you have a hundred it's like can you buy me a house i'm that family member no
0: worries i'm i'm, I'm gonna hit you up it's <laughs> 50 cents though it's
1: 50 cents south Kayla, ladies and gentlemen on be honest i enjoyed him i think everybody did before we close out the show today i just wanted to take a minute to talk about how honored I was that's the right word honored and humbled and I and I use that word a lot but I I really truly 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 mean it in 1993 Vogue magazine profiled a woman by the name of Willow Bay she was the very first female sports anchor that they profiled she was a model at one point in her career turned sportscaster she was really well known I remember her not as much as I remember some of the others, but I do remember her. She now happens to be married to Bob Iger, the president of Disney. Nevertheless, she was profiled in Vogue magazine. Just her thoughts. You wonder how the two worlds come together, fashion and sports. Well, sometimes it's not as hard as we make it. I look at Russell Westbrook fashion and sports, Serena Williams, fashion and sports. In fact, look at the whole entire NBA. Every single one of those dudes thinks they're a model and they have some type of clothing line or they're in charge of some type of fashionista look. I, it's just the two worlds do come together. But late last year I was approached by Vogue magazine and they asked if they could do a profile on Carrie champion. What? Why? No, nah, I know why, <laughs> but it was, it was humbling. And um, I have I have to say this never in my life did I ever want to be a model. I've never had any ambitions to do so. I've been told as a child, oh, you're so tall. You could do this. You could do that. Never, ever, ever crossed my mind. I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. And that's and that is being a broadcast journalist. But when the two worlds came together and they said they wanted to do a profile on me, I was really excited. I didn't think much about it. I just thought, wow, this is interesting. What do they want to know? And I. And I guess they wanted to talk about just the transition. Um, how How is it being a woman, a minority woman, you know, with such a platform, but yet still being a woman... In- unapologetically. Anybody who watches the show knows I, I, I like fashion. I don't apologize for being me. I don't try to hide. I don't try to to pretend to be something else. I'm very comfortable in my own skin, especially when I'm on air. The way I dress, the way I look, the way I feel is all me. There's nothing in terms of made up, not authentic about it. If I wasn't on TV, I'd, I'd look this way if I was working in an office. And so they wanted to capture that. And it was so surreal, the experience of going to a New York warehouse and having people dress you up and make you up and you don't look like yourself. But you're like, okay, that's fine. It's it's Vogue. (laughs) I mean, because it's supposed to be the magazine of all magazines. It's Vogue, guys. And I stopped and I did the interview and they asked me about who I was and what I wanted to pursue and what I was trying to do. And I remember the art director saying to me, you know what you're doing? You're doing it your way. And I was like, well, I guess. He was like, you are yourself unapologetically. You don't look like the traditional sportscaster, not from when I remember when I was a kid. You don't look like the most folks I see on television. And that's not a diss to anyone else. He just says it's just different. And if this is the future of what's to come, that's refreshing. It's just different. So the art director puts all these different images uh, in televisions behind me. So there's like six or seven TVs and one has a tennis image, one has a basketball image, one has a baseball image, a football image. And then there's one that's just gray. It's like static. And the static represents what's to come. The traditional image of basketball, baseball, football, tennis. We know that, right? We've seen that before. But then there's this television, you know, to the far left, and it's just static, gray, black and white, a mesh of everything. And I thought, wow, that was really powerful. I don't know what it is. I can't really see it quite clearly. It's not traditional, but it's what's to come. I was honored by that. And so our network got behind it, and they promoted it, and my producers worked really hard on it on the show. And I just want to thank everybody who made it possible. Everyone was really, really kind and very and very receptive to the piece. And they encouraged me. And I was really grateful. It was one of those days in your career where you think, gosh, I'm just really humbled by the feedback and the and the role model response. I don't think I'm anybody's role model, but I hear that. And I was just extremely, extremely overwhelmed by the kindness that was out there, especially on social media, because you don't get to hear that a lot. But then I found out through some research that, again, it was the first time that they've ever featured a female sports broadcaster since Willow Bay. And that was back in 1993. And I thought, wow, no pressure, some pressure, but just humbled. I say all this to say that growing up as a little girl in Pasadena, I I had no idea where I would be and what I would do. I just knew that I wanted to be great at whatever I did. Whatever came with that, so be it. But I'm a big believer, and I say this all the time, it's so simple, but I'm a big believer in hard work pays off in so many different areas of your life. I've been at ESPN for four years, and I'm not on a fast track. I'm not doing anything different than anyone else. Sal talked about it. You make you make it your own. They give you something, and you make it your own. And I fight for every point, as it says in the article, just like Serena Williams, I fight for every point. I fight to have the honor to sit and talk to you on a podcast. I fight to have the honor to sit on a sports center set and share information with you so that you can enjoy it and you're entertained yet informed at the same time. I fight for these honors. They're all things that make me who I am and I'm grateful for it. So with that being said, I hope you guys go out and pick up Vogue. June edition. Margaret Robbie's on the cover. I Can I get a cover? You guys, is a cover coming soon for me, Adam? I don't see why not. <laughs> Just greedy. No, I kid. I kid. I joke. I'm completely happy. Just want to share that with you guys all. It was a, it was a, it was a seminal moment in my career. Some, some big moments happen in your career, in your life. This was one of them. And I want to share it with you all. Thank you guys for all your support. Thank you for listening to Be Honest. Make sure you check us out next week. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for listening to Be Honest with Carrie Champion. Oh! For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash PodCenter.